pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. simplicity, and above all, accuracy. And I thank you, Lord, that we will rightly divide the Word of God today because we want to be uh, shown approved of you, hallelujah. So, Lord, enlighten our understanding. God, give our people ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts that can believe, receive, and comprehend what you're saying to us today, Lord. God, let this Word be life-changing. Let everyone leave here a different way than they came today, God. Let them leave here with a new hope, a new revelation, a new knowledge of you, a new understanding of your goodness and how much you love us. And Lord, we'll be sure to give you all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor for every good thing that comes forth in this service today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says, Amen. amen. And amen. You may be seated. Children, you're dismissed. Youth, you're dismissed. I forgot to announce that today. We're celebrating two birthdays back there to, this morning. Ethan and Tyler. Tyler is going to be, he's 15 going on 29. Ethan's going to be 21. The big gun, hallelujah. But they're going to have a celebration back there. They're having nachos. And I asked uh, Jessica, the nacho maker, to make some extra. So afterwards, we're all invited back there for nachos, all right? Hallelujah. I like nachos, don't you? <laughs> they mine, nachos. <laughs> Hallelujah. Turn with me to Proverbs, the fourth chapter and the 20th verse. Pastor Gene and Betty, I don't know what it is, but there's just a glow about you two this morning. 
I didn't, now I didn't see that glow last time. I, I see a glow about you this morning. Something good is either happening, happening, or going to happen. Amen. Yes. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right, Proverbs 4.20 through 23. I'm going to read it in the King James Version. It says, My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them, and help to all their flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Yes. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So what flows from our heart? The issues of life. Now, this word issue is a word that seems fairly easy to understand. Uh, in the English language, issue could be a uh, topic for a debate or a discussion like the issue of global warming. It could be a problem or difficulty like I'm having issues with my car. It could be a magazine like this is the uh, January issue of Time magazine. And it's also a word that some people would use about someone they feel that is emotionally unstable. Now, don't look at anybody, but they would say, I just had a talk with so-and-so, and he is, he's got some issues. <laughs> so you see in the English language, there's many ways to use the word issue. But how many knows the Bible wasn't written in English? It was written in Hebrew for the Old Testament and Greek for the New Testament. So this word issue means all the things that I just mentioned, but not in the context of this passage of scripture. It does not mean those things. And this is one of those scriptures where if a certain word is misinterpreted, it will change the entire meaning of the scripture itself. It will change the meaning of what's being said or what God wanted to say. And that's why uh, Paul told us to rightly divide studies show yourself approved rightly dividing the word of truth this word has to be rightly divided and i'm not a hebrew scholar i'm not a greek scholar but i have some resources i can go to that help me in this area and tell me the meaning of hebrew words and the meaning of greek words and like i said sometimes it changes the entire concept of the scripture and here in this passage of scripture most be, uh, people believe that the word issues has to do with the action of something flowing or coming out. And uh, verse 23, as a matter of fact, in the NIV says, Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. That's an issue. It flows from it. And uh, it would actually mean that in the New Testament, Greek, uh, just like the woman with the issue of blood, she had a flow of blood coming out of her. And she was dying because she had this issue of blood, this flow of blood coming out of her. You know, Leviticus 17, 11 says the life of the flesh is in the blood. So if that blood flows out, if that blood drains out of you, you're going to die. And this is what the woman had, an issue of blood. She didn't have issues with her blood. She had a flow and her blood was flowing out of her. But thank God Jesus healed her. Amen? Yes. 
Now the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and the word issue was translated from the Hebrew word that actually, I'm not going to try to pronounce Hebrew words or get you to understand Hebrew words or the pronouncement of them, but I'm just going to tell you what it means. And here that word issue was translated from a, war, a word that means borders or boundaries. Borders or boundaries. That changes the entire concept of the scripture we just read. And the Hebrew and Greek languages are more versatile than the English language. Uh, for example, we have one word for love, love. I gotta love my wife, I gotta love fried chicken, I gotta love everything with the same word, love. And you know, I can't describe, how do you describe which one you love more? I love my wife, I love fried chicken. Don't make me choose, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But here's the thing, I only have one word. Don't you tell on me, Queen. For love. But in the Greek language, for example, I got four words, and each one has a different intensity. So I can describe my love for my wife, and it's way better than it is for chicken. You hear that, Pastor? <laughs> but anyway, uh, words in the Hebrew and the Greek have different applications based on the context of what they're being used in. For example, in other places of the Old Testament, the word issue is also translated as outskirts, borders, boundaries, outgoings, and limits. But to us, issue is issue. But here it's different. So let's quote Proverbs 4.23 with the new understanding we have on the word issue. It's saying, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it will the borders, boundaries, outskirts, and limits of your life be established. That definitely changes our understanding of that passage of Scripture, now doesn't it? So let's look at another passage of Scripture. You don't have to turn there, I'll just read it. Uh, where the English translation of a couple of words can also be just as tricky. And that's Proverbs 29, 18. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keeps the law, happy is he. So in the English, I'm thinking, where there's no vision, where I can't see where I'm going, it has something to do with sight. And it says, the people perish. So that means that without being able to see where I'm going, I'm going to die. I'm going to perish. But the word vision here actually means revelation or prophetic utterance, a revelation or a prophetic utterance, a word from God. That's what it means because that's what a prophetic utterance is. It's a word from God. And then the word perish actually means to run without restraint. Now it means something totally different in the Greek, but here in the Hebrew, it means to run without restraint. So in other words, it's saying that people without a revelation or a word from God are running without restraint. And that makes a lot more sense now, doesn't it? People without a word from God or a revelation are running without restraint. They're running without boundaries and, and, and borders. They're running without outer limits and they're running without limitations on their life. Now, that could cause you to perish. That's dangerous to, to do that. You know, uh, the law is a border or a boundary for us to live within. 
Anytime you step outside of the law, you could get yourself in trouble. It's dangerous to violate the laws or violate the rules. So uh, the point I'm trying to make this morning is that it's dangerous to live life without borders and boundaries, without limits and without restraints. It's like seatbelts in a car. As a matter of fact, another name for seatbelts is restraints. And, you know, seatbelts are designed to restrain the driver and the passenger to keep them in the, uh, the seated position, especially the driver. He needs to remain in that seated position during violent uh, steering maneuvers, violent braking maneuvers, or something like that. Because if he leaves that driver's seat, who's driving? And the passenger needs to stay in their seat in the event of a violent uh, driving maneuver or braking maneuver because they'll wind up knocking heads with the passenger or with the driver and knocking him out. So restraints are important. They're, they're, they keep us safe. And borders and barriers are usually marked by fences or walls. That's how I know there's a border. That's how I know there's a barrier. Boy, <laughs> out the middle here. But anyway, <laughs> fences and walls keep things in or keep things out, depending on which side of it you're on. I'm going to be good here, and I'm going to use a different example than what you're thinking I'm going to use. But it's like a fence or a wall at the zoo. How many know you want to stay on the right side of that wall? Because it's there for your safety. And if you don't uh, respect that boundary, respect that wall, you can, find, you can find yourself in the cage with lions or gorillas, right? So it, it behooves us to obey and live within the limits that are set for us or live within the boundaries that are set for us. It's for our safety and it's for our good. So uh, someone who lives life without respect to boundaries or restraints is foolish. I was going to use another word, but I'm going to be nice. Well, I'm going to live life my way. No one's going to tell me what I can or can't do. I refuse to be fenced in. I refuse to have borders and boundaries. I'm going to do it my way. And you might for a while. But I'll guarantee you without boundaries, boundaries or restraints in your life, it's going to be a lot shorter. Everyone should have limits and boundaries and restraints in their life. And we need to recognize them and establish them in our hearts. You know, people say all the time, well, I live in Louisville, Kentucky. I live in Shelbyville, Kentucky. I live in Boogaloo, Mississippi. But no, the place that you really live is right here. Because you can take yourself and change your location geographically and you will still be the same person with the same problems and the same issues. Why? Because you live out of here. And people run away from things all the time. If I just set up life in another place, I'll be all right. Things will change. No, they won't because you'll be there. So we got to know where to live. And you live out of your heart. You live in your heart. That's why it has to be guarded with all diligence. Our opening scripture tells us that our heart establishes the boundaries, the borders, 
the limits, the restraints for our entire life. Paul said in Romans 10.10, that it's with the heart that man believes. Man believes with the heart. He speaks with the mouth. He believes with the heart. But it starts in the heart. Your mouth is the trigger for what you believe. Your mouth will bring into action what your heart believes. It's like a gun. You know, your gun is loaded. It's got a bullet in there. But that bullet don't come out till you pull the trigger. It's the same thing with your heart. Your heart is full of faith in the things that you believe. Good or bad. And your mouth is the trigger. Your mouth will trigger that faith or whatever it is that's in your heart. So these beliefs will govern your life by establishing these borders, boundaries, limitations, and restraints. Your heart establishes those. The beliefs that are established in your heart will dictate the way that you live. And another word for beliefs is faith. It comes from a Greek word. I'm going to get bold and say it, pistilo. And it means faith and belief. So faith and beliefs are the same. They're, they're interchangeable words. They mean the same thing. So your heart is full of beliefs about all sorts of things, depending on how you were raised and the things that you were taught and the things that you uh, read and the things you heard. They, that's what establishes the beliefs in your heart. And, and some are right and some are wrong. But here's something interesting. Your life will never move beyond the beliefs that you hold in your heart. Those beliefs in your heart will restrain you from doing certain things in your life. Uh, they'll become boundaries and limits uh, that you will live your life within those boundaries and limits. Let me give you an example of what I mean. I believe that smoking is bad for my health. I believe it causes cancer and other problems. So when it comes to inhaling smoke of any kind, I draw the line. I will not cross that line. I will not cross that border. I will not smoke. Why? Because of what I believe. I believe the same thing about drinking alcohol or using drugs. I believe it can, will, and does destroy lives. Uh, not only mine, but the lives of others, especially the loved ones in my life. So when it comes to drinking or using drugs, that's another line or boundary that I won't cross. I will live within that boundary. I will live within those limitations. I don't believe in cheating on my wife. I don't believe in adultery, fornication. All these things I don't believe in, that will keep me within the limitations and boundaries that are set for my life, and I set them with what I believe in my heart. You set your boundaries with what you believe in your heart. Yes. Amen. 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 The devil's job is to steal, kill, and destroy, and he uses those things I just mentioned to do all three. He will use smoking, drugs, alcohol to steal, kill, and destroy your life. Alcohol and drugs cause good people to lose their jobs, their homes, their families, their relationships, their health, and eventually their lives. And when it comes to smoking or drinking, you know, will it send you to hell? No. Only one thing will send you to hell, and that's 
how you feel about Jesus Christ. Now, smoking and drinking and all that might get you there sooner, heaven or hell, but it won't send you to either place. And I won't debate whether or not it's a sin. I won't say that smoking is a sin. I won't say that drinking or using drugs is a sin, but everything that comes out of it is. And I do believe that it is a sin. Some people say, well, I can handle it. Well, good for you. Every alcoholic, every drug addict, every person that has lung cancer started out with the belief that they could handle cigarettes, they could handle cigars, they could handle tobacco, they could handle alcohol, and they could handle a hit on a marijuana pipe or whatever it is. They never started out an addict. They never started out an alcoholic. So if you if you got that type of willpower, good for you. But there are certain beliefs that will cause huge changes in our lives. Your beliefs about money, your beliefs about time, your beliefs about life itself will cause huge changes in your life. Why? Because your, your beliefs are establishing the boundaries for your life. And whether they're right or wrong, good or bad, most people will stay within those boundaries and they won't violate them. The most important beliefs that we can establish is beliefs about ourselves and what we're capable of doing. If you don't believe that you can do a certain thing, then you probably never will. And you probably can't. Why? Because you believe you can't. If you don't believe you can overcome an addiction, then you probably never will. If you don't believe you're smart enough to get a college degree, then you probably never will. And if you don't believe you can achieve certain goals in your life, you probably never will. You've got to believe that you can do it. Your beliefs are important to your success in life. The boundaries and the restraints that you set for yourself will make you or break you. Because they work both ways, good or bad. And did you know, like I said before, that belief is another word for faith. So faith, uh, uh, like the woman with the issue of blood, she had to have faith in what was in her heart. She had to have faith in what she was speaking. She, she believed in her heart that if I could just touch the hem of his bar garment, I'd be made whole. How did I know she believed that? Because she kept saying it. Yes. So she triggered her faith. By what she was saying. And that word actually there in that passage of scripture means a firm persuasion. It's not just a belief. You are firmly persuaded. Like Abraham, he was firmly persuaded that God was able. And when you can get firmly persuaded about something, you can do just about anything. She was firmly persuaded that if she could just touch the hem of his garment, she'd be made whole. And she did, and he did. And so she, uh, Jesus, I mean, he knew what happened. He said, who touched me? And the disciples are like, man, are you kidding me? We got to get you out of the sun, man. Everybody's touching you. And you want to know who touched you? No, this was a different kind of touch. This touch was a touch of faith. This touch drew virtue or power out of me. That was a different kind of touch. 
He felt it. He knew it. Why? Because virtue drew virtue. Because her name, if you study it out, her name actually means virtuous woman. So virtue was pulling on virtue. And she got healed from it. Amen? Jesus even said, daughter, your faith, your firm persuasion that I'm the healer, and if you touch me, you'll be healed, is what made you whole. So if you really believe something, then you'll have the faith to cause it to come to pass. That's the way God designed us. We're believers. Why? Because we're supposed to be believing something all the time. And he designed uh, faith and belief to be working interchangeably. Don't worry about whether or not you're in faith. Just be concerned about what you believe. Because if you believe something, the faith will automatically be there. God made it so easy. If you believe Jesus Christ is Lord and that he died for our sins, he was buried, and on the third day he rose, if you believe that, there's enough faith in what you believe to get you saved. God's not complicated. He made it easy for us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And again, this faith works both ways, good or bad. Whatever you have faith in, you're going to cause to come to pass, especially if you start speaking it. So what do you believe about yourself? What do you think you're capable of doing? What's the image you have of yourself in here? Because that's what counts. You know, it's important what you think because uh, what you believe about yourself is as far as your faith is ever going to take you in life. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinks or believes in his heart, so is he or so it will be. As a man believes in his heart, so it will be. So you might be able to quote, I'm more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ, but if you don't believe it, you'll never conquer anything. You might be able to quote, God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, but if you don't really believe it, your needs will never be met. You might be able to quote, by his stripes I'm healed, but if you don't believe it, you'll never be healed. So if you want to change your life on the outside, then you have to change what you believe about yourself on the inside. You will never become or do anything on the outside uh, until you believe that you can and you are on the inside. Amen? You know, the beliefs in your heart will set the boundaries and borders, the limits and the restraints for your life because... Uh, for you to and cause you to operate within those boundaries and restraints. If you can change your beliefs, you can change your life. Yes. Let me put it this way: If you can change your beliefs and then speak what you believe, you will change your life. And if you don't think your beliefs have an impact on your life, and will give direction to your life. Let me, let me make it real clear. What you believe or don't believe about Jesus Christ will get you into heaven or send you to hell. Amen. That's how powerful your beliefs are. Yes, right. 
And so that's why you better know what you believe. You better establish a belief system in your heart that's consistent with God's word. Otherwise, you're going to get some things that you don't want any part of. Amen. Don't shout me down because I started preaching good. See, our beliefs put boundaries on our life. Some good, some bad. If you believe you can op operate outside of a boundary or outside of a limit or outside of a law, especially the laws that God set, you're going to be in trouble. Your life is going to be miserable and it's going to be shortened. I can promise you that. But you know what? God believes in us whether or not we believe in, in ourselves or not. God thinks very highly of us. You know, we used to quote that with the Bible. We'd hold our Bible and say, I believe that I can have what it says I can have. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. But you know what? That's true. Uh, and, and what we try to do is try to establish a belief in you. That's, that's my job as a pastor is to try to establish the right beliefs in your life. And the only way I know how to do it is to teach you from this word. Hallelujah. You remember the parable of the talents? Three men were entrusted with their master's money. One was given five, one, two, and one was given one, all according to their several ability. In other words, he don't give us nothing we can't handle. It's based on our ability to handle. So if, if he knew the guy could handle five, and he knew the guy that uh, he gave two, two could handle two, he also knew the guy he gave one to could handle one. And the same thing the guy with the five did and the one with the two, they doubled it. He knew the one that he gave one talent to could double it as well or he wouldn't have given the talent. Right. But the one with the one talent, he buried it. He never even tried to do anything. And I'm convinced that it was because of what he believed. He believed that uh, he couldn't do anything with it. He believed the master was harsh. He believed the master reaped where he didn't sow, which was all lies. Because the master never reaps where he doesn't sow. He's not a harsh person. He's a loving person. And he always reaps what he sowed. This guy had some wrong beliefs about him. And it caused him to take the talent and bury it and never do anything with it. He didn't believe he could do anything with it. And how many people are in the same position? God places something on your heart, but you don't believe you can accomplish it. And so you just bury it and never even try. That's what he did. He buried it and he never even tried. That's how powerful beliefs are, especially about ourselves. If, if the servant with the one talent would have just tried, it could have changed the course of his life. Because you know what? Success is contagious. You know, you start out believing God for a dollar, and God miraculously supplies that dollar, and it bolsters your faith. And it makes you stronger in faith. And so you believe him for $10, then 20 then 100 and before you know it, you're believing God to pay the mortgage on your house or the church. Get that belief established in you. Continue saying it. Even in the face of short shortages, even when it doesn't look like you can even pay the monthly mortgage, 
you still believe God's going to pay off the mortgage on the house or the church. Eventually, it's going to happen. But if you bury it and never even try, it won't happen. Now, here's where I'm going to start meddling a little bit. i got plenty of time. <laughs> Parents and adults play a key role in establishing the beliefs in a child's heart, especially their children. But this is any child's heart. Whether you're a teacher, a grandparent, an uncle, an aunt, a coach on a baseball team, children are impressionable. So in order to establish a belief in their hearts, you have to make an impression in their lives, especially when they have a wrong belief. You know, I've said this before, children don't have to be taught how to be bad. That comes natural. They have to be taught how to become good. And sometimes that takes uh, something that really impresses them. Now, I call it a significant emotional event. Some of you know where I'm going with this already, but that's all right. It's worth repeating. I don't think Pastor Gene or Pastor Betty ever heard this story, so I get to tell it again. <laughs> but this is not an original idea of mine. I learned it from a manager or boss I had at UPS. We didn't allow the local drivers to have CBs in their truck because it was a distraction, it was a waste of time, a loss of production. They spent more time talking on the CB than they did concentrating on heavy city traffic in Chicago. We didn't want them doing that. So my boss caught one of the drivers with a CB. He's climbing out of the truck with it. You know, they would, they would put it in there and put a bungee cord on it and hook up their wires and they'd have the CB all day, but then they would sneak it out uh, at the end of their uh, shift. Well, he caught him sneaking, <laughs> sneaking it out of the truck. He grabbed it out of his hand, threw it on the ground, and he danced on it like this. <laughs> Well, that driver didn't know what to think. Well, he thought he was crazy is what he thought. But I'm telling you, that created what he called my boss a significant emotional event that that driver will never forget. <laughs> and he'll never put another CB in his truck. Now, he wound up having to pay for that CB when the union got a hold of him, but he won't put it in his truck again. So that's a significant emotional event. And I put that to practice in our life. When Mike and Chris were growing up, he probably said, here we go. <laughs> Pastor Ed and I had a firm belief that if we were going to change wrong or bad behavior, we would have to do it the same way. We would have to create a significant emotional event that they would never forget. Something that would really impress them. And we realized in order to change that, uh, that event was going to have to be unforgettable like jumping up and down on that CB radio was. For example, one time Mike was giving Pastor Ed a hard time about picking up his toys. And uh, she told him several times, pick up your toys. But he just didn't do it. He just sat there and kept playing. So I said, Mike, would you like Dad to pick up your toys for you? He looked at me for a second and he says, sure if you want to, and he kept right on playing. I said, okay. So I picked them up, just calm and cool as I could be. And when I got them all picked up, 
I walked over and threw them in the garbage can there, him and Pastor Red, to take them out of that can. Man, he cried. He was emotional. But you know what? Never had to tell him to pick up his toys again. Now here, if you don't think it had an impact on his life, let's fast forward about 25 years. Ethan's uh, sitting on the floor in his bedroom. He's got these little Lego pieces all over the floor. And his mom told him several times, pick up the Lego pieces. It's almost time for supper. He just ignored her and sat there and kept on playing. So Mike, who was quietly observing, he says to Ethan, he says, Ethan, would you like Papa to pick them up for you? Ethan called him Papa. And of course, Ethan says, sure. So Mike got a garbage bag, went into the bedroom, and calmly started picking up all these Lego pieces and putting them in the garbage bag. Ethan, being as smart and quick as he is, he realized something was awry. <laughs> so he said, Papa, why are you putting them in the garbage bag? And Mike just calmly looked at him and he said, because that's where they're going. And he threw them Legos in the garbage bag. I don't know if you realize or not, but a good Lego set is pretty expensive. But not as valuable as the lesson that Ethan was about to learn. But anyway, let's just say that Ethan became very emotional. And it escalated from there for a minute or two. Because Mike escalated as well. And uh, he created two emotional events in Ethan's life that moment in time. So I know that what I did to Mike had an impact on his life. And to this day, it had an impact on his life. And you could ask Ethan when he comes out from the back today if it had an impact on his life. He'll probably use it on one of his kids someday. But these were significant emotional events that they will never forget. But the most important part is it established a new belief in their little hearts. That if mom or dad tell me to do something, I better do it. Amen? And so they were firmly persuaded that if they were ever asked to pick up their toys again, they would do it, and without hesitation. And in the very unlikely, I didn't share the second part of that with you, but in the very unlikely event that it didn't work at first, which it didn't with Ethan, because he retaliated a little bit, another significant emotional event that you can create in their lives is to light that little butt up. It's called whoop that butt. That's pretty emotional too. Ethan got both lessons that day. <laughs> Ethan thought he was going to tell his dad, no, you ain't putting them in the garbage. They're mine. That leads to another story. Mike told me I couldn't go in his bedroom. He said it was his bedroom and he deserves some privacy. I said, is that right? I said, your so-called bedroom happens to be in my house. And that door that you think you can close in my face is my door. And I took that thing right off the hinges. So there he was every night sitting on the edge of his bed, reading or playing with his toys or a video game or whatever with no door 
on his bedroom. Now I did it civilized. I took it off by the hinges. I got a screwdriver and the pliers and tapped the hinges out and took it off real gentle and everything and put his door in my bedroom. He learned a lesson then too. But nobody's more impressionable than a little child. That's when we gotta get to them. God designed them that way. And that's why it's so important that we teach them right and establish a system of beliefs in their hearts that's going to make them successful in life. God said, except you be converted as this little child, you will in no wise see the kingdom of God. Why? Because little children are gullible. Little children believe anything that you tell them. Little children are forgiving. They're quick to forgive. You could have two, you could have a brother, sister, or two friends. Have a knockdown, drag them out, fight, hair pulling, and everything. And five minutes later, they're playing together and loving one another. Jesus said, That's how we need to be. That's why you should never put them down or tell them things like you're useless, you're stupid, you'll never amount to anything. You know what the problem with that is? If you get them to believe it, that's exactly what they're going to be. Now, I don't believe in this, you can be anything you want to be. No, they can't. They got to operate within their limits and uh, abilities. Because like, like I said with the parable of the talents, according to their ability, God's not going to give them something to do that's beyond their abilities or capabilities, and you shouldn't either. Not every child is going to be an astronaut. I don't care how bad they want to be. And not every child is going to be a brain surgeon. Tell them they can be anything they want to be that God wants them to be, that God anointed them to be. Don't tell them they can can be anything. You can be the president. No, they can't. (laughs) Anyway, Jesus said in Matthew 18, 3, Truly I say to you, unless you repent, change, turn about, and become like little children... Trusting, lowly, loving, forgiving, this is amplified, you can never enter the kingdom of heaven at all. You better get the heart of a little child. You can get a little child to believe anything, and I have, and some of them were good. A couple of them still sleep with the lights on. No, I'm just kidding. But the reason you can is because their little heart hasn't been corrupted yet. It hasn't been filled with all the garbage and the wrong beliefs that the world and the devil wants to put into them. They haven't been taught yet to hate someone who is different than you. That has to be taught. Children have to be taught to be prejudiced. They're not born that way. They don't learn it by themselves. They learn it by what you teach them. And, well, I never taught them anything like that. No, but you let them go to places where they were taught that, and you'll be held accountable for that as well. They're your responsibility. Their hearts are open to wisdom. They're open to influence of all kinds. And because they haven't closed their hearts or spirits to any one person yet, they're constantly open to learning. So let's use the opportunity to teach them the right things out of the Word of God. Our job is to impress and influence little children 
in our lives, whether you're a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a, a coach, or a Boy Scout or Girl Scout leader, teachers have influence in children's lives. And boy, are they going to be held accountable for some of the stuff they're teaching them. Not all teachers, they're not all bad, but some of them are trying to put some really corrupt junk into our children. But you know what? It's still your responsibility. Either teach them that's wrong and this is what's right, or get them out of there. Yeah. And don't say it can't be done. Right, Miss Amy? Amy's a witness right there, a testimony. She did it. It can be done. Well, I can't afford to put them in a private school. Yes, you can if you want to. Your child's future is at stake. How can you say you can't afford to do something like that? You do whatever it takes to do. And you put your trust in God and he'll get it through. If you, if you have influence in a child's life, I don't care who you are or what child it is, your job is to teach them from an early age the way that they should go. Jesus said, teach them the way, or Proverbs says, teach them the way they should go. And when they train them in the way they should go, when they grow older, they won't depart from them ways. So it, why? Because you establish that in their hearts. You set the boundaries in their heart and they won't stray from those boundaries that you set in their heart. I can remember things that I was tempted to do by my friends or so-called friends when I was a teenager that I just refused to do. And they thought I was weird. They thought that I was a mommy's boy or whatever. But I knew in my heart that I wasn't going to do that. That wasn't right for me. You know, you go ahead and do what you want. That's not right for me. Why? Because somewhere along the, my, my childhood, somebody established a boundary in my heart. Somebody established the right belief in my heart, and I wouldn't violate it. It's the same thing with our kids now. Well, we raise them the best we can, but when they go out on their own, there's nothing we can do. Hogwash. You establish them beliefs in their heart, and then when they go out on their own, you can trust them to do what's right. Because you know you put it in their hearts. And, you know, the Bible says they won't depart from them ways. But I know for a fact that they do for a time, but they'll always come back. Yeah. They'll always come back. Yeah. You know, we got one son that tried it all. And then some. He tried things I ain't even heard of yet. <laughs> but you know what? He turned out to be a decent individual. And he's living life good now. Why? Because we never gave up on him. And we put it in his heart. He knew it was right. And he used to tell us, Mom, Dad, the whole time I was gone, that's why I kept hearing this in my heart. I kept hearing what you told me when I was five years old, when I was ten years old. I kept hearing it. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Good. Because I can't watch you all the time. But your, your beliefs and the things you were impressed with, those are setting the boundaries for your life, and you won't violate them. I don't have to worry about you. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, here's where I get the medal. If you have children that you can influence, I don't care if they're your children or not. 
if they're your grandchildren. Well, I have to mind my own business. No, you don't. If they come around you and you have the opportunity, it's okay to plant a seed. It's okay to tell them about Jesus. I don't care what their parents think. And if they don't like it, they'll keep the kids from coming around you. But every time they come around me, they're going to get a seed planted. I'm going to tell them about Jesus. And you may have grandchildren whose parents might not be following the Lord. So it's important that you establish the Lord in their lives every chance you get. You know how many kids started out in this church because their grandmother brought them and then their parents followed? Yes. Why? Because the grandparents cared enough to get them in church. You don't know what God can do with that. That's right. And I see proud parents and grandparents on Facebook all the time posting pictures and bragging about their children's accomplishments and their grandchildren's accomplishments. And, and that's great, but how is their soul? How's their soul doing? You know, are you teaching them that they need a Savior and his name is Jesus? You know, I'm glad you're proud of them, and you should be. And I'm glad you're part, proud of their achievements, and, and you should be, and you should brag about them. But what's the point if they gain the whole world and lose their soul? What's the point in it? Do you realize that if you don't put Jesus in their little hearts while they're young and impressive, impression, easily impressed, that there's a strong possibility that they'll grow up not believing in God and as a result end up in the devil's hell forever? I hate to be so blunt, but sometimes you have to be. Those children are innocent and they don't deserve to go to hell because of the, the way that the parents believe. I've actually had parents tell us, we don't want to push religion down our children's throat. We're just going to let them grow up and make their own decision. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. God made parents because children aren't capable of making good decisions. Now, I'm all for letting a child make their own decisions or teach them how to make decisions. But when they make a wrong decision, you need to correct it. Well, I can't help the way that they believe. Yes, you can. And you better. Because you'll be held accountable for it. If you don't convince them that there is a God, the devil will convince them that there is not a God. All they have to do is go outside of the house and they'll learn from somebody that there's no God. They're going to learn it. It used to be in the college, in the higher education system, but now it starts in, not even kindergarten, it starts in pre-K. It starts in daycare. They start indoctrinating them that there is no God. You get to college and the first class you have to take is, uh, uh, I forget what they call it, but it's a class to teach you that there is no God. Philosophy 101 or something. And they try to convince you that there is no God. Matter of fact, you might not pass that class unless you make a declaration that you don't believe in God. So the odds are against them. But it shouldn't be that way at home. If you don't teach them about God when they're young and impressionable, then they'll, be, they'll grow up believing that there is no God 
and their chances of getting saved diminishes with every year. Every year they get older, it diminishes until it's hopeless for them. And I hate to say it's hopeless. It's never hopeless when God gets involved. But God cannot violate your will or change your mind if you don't want to change. If a child is heart is open to you as an adult and you never bother to teach them about Jesus and you will be accountable for it. Oh, look what my child did. And here's 20 pictures to prove it. Look at the trophy he won. Look at this. I'm so proud of my child. I'm so happy that are they going to hell? When it's all, when the dust settles and everything is said and done, even the one that dies with the most toys still dies. Where are they going to go? Where are they going to spend eternity? I'm glad you're proud of them. Are you teaching them about Jesus? Yes. Yes. Told you I ain't going to meddle. <laughs> but we open this morning, Proverbs 4.20. But now I want to go back to verses 3 through 13. And I want to sum up, sum up what I've been saying here. Uh, the, writer, the writer of this proverb is Solomon, the son of King David, and Bathsheba was his mother. And this will make it clear why Solomon told us to guard our hearts with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues, the boundaries, the limitations, the, the restraints of our life. Now keep in mind, as Solomon was writing this, he was writing as a son to his parents. And he's writing about some life lessons that he had learned. And these are beliefs that were established in his heart as he was growing up. Can you imagine growing up in King David's house? So he says in verse 3, For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words. Keep my commandments and live. What commandment? Commandments that God gave him. The word that God taught him. He says, get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, wisdom, and she, wisdom, shall preserve thee. Love her and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. She shall give to thine head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory shall she deliver to thee. Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be many. I have taught thee in the way of wisdom, I have led thee in right paths. And the ways of wisdom, he was taught out of the Bible. When thou goest, thy steps shall not be straightened. And when thou runnest, thou shalt not stumble. Take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go. Keep her, for she is thy life. So when Solomon was ordained as king, the first thing he did was sacrificed thousands of animals. Where did he learn that at? And then he prayed. Where did he learn how to pray? 
And then when he prayed, he asked for wisdom. He didn't ask for riches and fame. He asked for wisdom to lead God's people. Where did he learn that? From his father, David, and from the word of God. So according to this proverb, he learned all of those things from David, his father, and David learned them from God, his father, or Jesse, his father, in the natural. So, I don't know, dads. Wake up before it's too late. Don't let the mom do all the teaching. They respect it more when the teaching comes from the father. I know the, 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 the boys do, but the girls do even more. And if you don't teach her, and if you don't exalt her, and if you don't make her feel special, some slick-haired, smart-talking joker back in my day with a pack of cigarettes rolled up in the sleeve, will. Most little girls get in trouble because they didn't have the love of a father. I got to close. But you know, most of us weren't raised in a godly home. I know I wasn't. I, I mean, my parents were Catholics and they made me go to church. They made me go to catechism. But they didn't go. And I've seen a lot of things go on in and around my house. They drank, they gambled, played cards on Friday nights and all kinds of stuff like that. And, and so a lot of wrong beliefs were instilled in me. I thought it was all right to do those things. I thought it was all right to drink. I thought it was all right to gamble. But as an adult, it's never impossible to learn. It's never impossible to establish new beliefs. It's just harder as an adult. And there were years, even after I was saved, that I could not trust God. Because my image of God was the same image I had of my father. Now, my father wasn't a bad person. He just, he just knew what his father taught him. And, and, and my dad was an excellent provider. He was a good provider. So that's what I knew about a father. He had to be a good provider. So if I thought anything about God, I figured he must be a good provider. But I didn't know he was capable of loving me. I didn't know he was capable of putting his arms around me and letting, him, letting me feel his love. I didn't know he was capable of all these other things because of the example I had. And if you're raised in a godly home and your father acts like God and he, he does what he he learned from the Bible, then that's that will be your impression of God when you are when you do get saved. But I always thought that God was, uh, and I know you've heard this with other people, but it's the truth for me as well. God was up there in heaven with a big baseball bat waiting for me to mess up so he can knock me in the head with it. That was my impression of God. And I was afraid of him, but not in a good way. I thought he always had his eye on me, waiting for me to mess up. And it was hard to learn otherwise. Now I know better, but it took me years. Never had a good relationship with God as long as I thought that way. 
Why? Because of what I believe. Your beliefs will change your life and give you direction for your life. Amen. And if they're wrong, thank God you can correct them. But you got to correct them from the word. The word is always right. You never go wrong believing the word of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you. God, we love you so much. We love your word so much. It teaches us so much. Paul told us that he was praying for us. He said a spirit of wisdom and revelation. But I know we have the spirit of wisdom and revelation abiding in us. It's the mighty Holy Spirit. The greater one is in us. We have everything that we need to establish the right beliefs in our heart, the right boundaries, the right limitations. We know exactly how far we should go based on not only the word of God, but the prompting of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost that is living on the inside of us. We have a convicting power living in us. I already know in advance what I will or will not do before I ever get to it, before I'm ever faced with it. I don't even have to think about it because I already know on the inside what I believe and I'll not violate them beliefs. And this is what we need to establish in our hearts. The word of God, the limitations that the word of God places on us. Yes, we're free. Whom the sun set free is free indeed. And we can do anything that we want, but we will pay the consequences for it. So why take the chance when we know what's right and we just stay within the boundaries of what you told us, what is right and what is wrong, God? So we thank you for these boundaries. They're not a burden. They're not restricting. They're not restraining us in the sense that we're being held back. But they're there for our protection and our good. And I plan for the rest of my life to stay within the boundaries that your holy word has set for me. And I pray the same thing for everybody in here and within the sound of my voice on social media and everywhere else this message goes. And I thank you that it's so in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I was really good today. I had a lot more going through my head <laughs> than I said. But so, so I'm getting better. I promise I won't be real political this year. I'm not saying I'll never say anything political, but I'm going to be careful what I say from now on. Amen. We love you and appreciate you. God bless you. Uh, don't forget, stick around for some nachos. You can have all the nat nachos you want. But don't get none of my nachos, because they're not yours. Amen? This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.